0: Friday, May sixteenth. Welcome to the Vegas Gang Podcast. Uh, my name is Hunter Hilligas from RateVegas dot and uh, we're happy to be joined today by uh, by my friend Steve Fries, who's a local uh, local to Las Vegas freelance journalist. Writes for uh, quite a few different publications, little little rags you may have heard of, like the New York Times and USA Today. Uh, amongst others he's going to talk about a book he recently uh, had published called Gay Vegas it is a travel guide and we're gonna talk also a little bit about how Las Vegas markets to um, certain subgroups of people and uh, so we'll dig into that so but first off I'm gonna do some introductions Um, I'm gonna go around the table here and um, Chuck from Vegaschipping.com is here how are you today Chuck
1: hey I'm great it's hot here in LA
0: yeah it's hot in Santa Barbara too so uh, you know, got my AC cranked up. Uh, Dave Schwartz, Dave Schwartz is here from uh, UNLV and DiasCast.com. How are you, Dave?
2: Doing great. It's not so hot in Vegas.
0: Yeah, you guys are lucky.
3: Uh, David McKee, how are you today? Wishing I was in Santa Barbara. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> fine. Otherwise, excellent.
4: And uh, Steve, welcome. Well, thanks, and uh, hey, I don't know what part of town you're in, but it's it's in the '90s where I'm where I'm at here in Vegas, and it's gonna gonna hit 100 this week, so I I think it's hot enough.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was. I think it's 97 here today in Santa Barbara, which is abnormally high, uh, and it feels it feels it. I mean, we don't you know we don't usually get up this this hot, especially not in May. So yes, but you have a beach you can go to. (laughs) I've heard there's a beach here. That's what they tell me, at least.
1: You guys
0: got a big beach out there, too, so... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you yeah, but think think Man- Man- yeah. Bay? Yeah. <laughs> you got a couple. Mm-hmm. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about Steve's book, and then um, and then we'll talk about a couple of other uh, sort of current event-type things. And it, we're hoping that Jeff Simpson is going to join us. Um, he may have been tied up, so hopefully he will join us. Uh, otherwise, we're going to get rolling. So, Steve, your book. Um yeah. It's called Gay Vegas, correct? And it's a it uh, travel guide for uh, based, Well, why don't you why don't you explain the book? Uh, talk about you know how how you got the idea for
4: it. That's well, it is a it is a gay, obviously a guide for gay people, gay travelers to Vegas. That's the marketing hook of the book. I mean, obviously a lot of the the material is not gay specific because you can't really write a food review that's. Gay or not gay, or something like that. Although there are certainly ways that you can analyze, particularly the shows, uh, for their, you know, their gay or homoerotic content, and and then you know, analyze how various clubs and resorts re- treat gay people. And the book was uh, published about eh, eight months ago now, or so. And it is kind of amazing how fast things change in the city. So. You know, it's, it's 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 very hard to keep a travel guide current. But when I first started working on the book, there were such such popular gay attractions as hmm, Hairspray and Avenue Q and a bunch of other things that don't don't exist anymore um, here in Vegas. So you know, it, it's just sort of a, a hard place to keep up with. But we we thought it was a good idea because first of all, nobody had ever done it before. There was not any. There there, there are some guidebooks that tend to have a page or two related to you know where gay people might want to go or where they might feel comfortable, but there was nothing specific, and there are a lot of other cities where there are full-fledged gay guidebooks for their cities. Mm-hmm. The other, other reason was it was kind of good timing for the fact that the city was really changing its approach to marketing to this segment, and this is a segment that is seen to have a tremendous amount of disposable income and a great deal of affection for Las Vegas, even before all this marketing went on. I think that the L V C V A and other folks like that were actually really surprised when research showed, even before they started pushing into this market, that there was a huge affection for Las Vegas among gay and lesbian travelers, that Las Vegas is one of the, I believe they, they believe it's the second most popular travel destination for gay people, and that means that it's ahead of I think it's ahead of San Francisco and a number of other places you might think of more, li- more likely. I think New York is, is on top, but, um, you know, so, so there's this, there was all this interest in the topic and in, you know, what the city was doing to market to this group. And also, of course, you know, being that I've done so much travel journalism about Las Vegas, it seemed natural that I would be the one to go ahead and put it together as a book.
0: Well, you know, I'm curious, and you mentioned that uh, you know that yours is really the the first and probably still only of its kind. I mean, is that mm-hmm. is that strange for a city the size and as popular as Las Vegas is as a tourist destination?
4: It seems a little odd to me. Well, one of the strange things about Las Vegas in general, when it comes to gay issues, is that there's a lar- it's a large city with you would assume plenty of gay and lesbian people living here, but for example, the bars—the bar scene in Las Vegas hasn't changed all that much in the last ten years. There's, no, there's actually about the same number of gay bars as there were ten years ago. I, I think that what's interesting is—is is that what I've discovered is that when gays and lesbians come to Las Vegas, unlike when they go to some other destinations they're not necessarily looking for a gay vacation. I mean, they're not necessarily Mm -hmm. looking for a hotel where all gay people are staying or even necessarily gay bars, although I'm sure that for one reason or another people do seek them out. But, you know, it is one of the interesting um, democratizing, uh, assimilating aspects of Las Vegas, both on the Strip and off the Strip, that there really isn't, that much difference between what's of interest to gay people and straight people to some extent. Obviously, there's a marketing edge to to be exploited in terms of um, offering offering a a hotel like Paris as a place where gays can feel really comfortable because there is some value to that. But it's not necessarily... It's interesting. Las Vegas in general is not a city... The city that we live in is not a city that um, has these ghettos based on any sort of minority? I mean, uh-huh. the ghettos, the, the the ghettos in Las Vegas are are really about uh, class more than right. race or anything else. And same goes for for the Strip. I mean, I don't I don't know that there are are there I don't know are there hotels that blacks tend to frequent more
0: or less. I, you know, I don't I don't know. I mean, I know that I well I believe that uh, Fitzgerald's downtown is owned by well it's being sold but is owned by Don Barton. And if I'm not, if I'm correct, he's I think the first African American in the history of Nevada to own a casino. Um, someone please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but uh, I don't, you know, I I, don't I, I never got the impression correct.
4: that's is that not correct. I don't think so. I okay, think that, I, well, I think that actually was a black woman who once owned one.
2: Yeah, oh, okay. First in the modern era, and the uh, okay. one. Many in the. If so I can be the boring historian for a second. Sure. A lot of black. Oh, by all means. <laughs> The gambling clubs on the west side, and they were most of them were black-owned. But I, okay. I can give you one interesting thing that I noticed observationally in the strip: the only casino I've ever been in the entire world with no Asian people in it was the Frontier. It hmm. was the freakiest thing. <laughs> um, maybe it was just that day, but uh, so obviously there, the the Frontier's marketing wasn't uh, firing on all cylinders there.
0: Well, and you know, you hear of certain, in some cases, how places do market to very specific subsets. Like the California is, you know, legendary for marketing to Hawaiians right. and having quite a presence, uh, uh, you know, marketing-wise in the Hawaiian Islands. But I, you know, I am curious when it comes to this stuff. Do have certain properties made specific efforts to to target these communities? And if so, you know, which properties are these? I, I think most people or well, I would think many people wouldn't even have any idea, but I, I get the, the sense that there that there are a few that have actually uh have, have tried
4: to have tried to make well, specific efforts. Well when we're talking about gay the gay marketing angle I can be specific. Yeah. Um Harris has just decided that they would designate Paris as the hotel that they think is of most interest to gays. And so there are advertisements that are created specifically for Paris that are in lots of the gay media on um, the gay TV like to have a logo which is a gay I think it's owned by MTV it's like gay TV channel on cable uh, there's certainly are you know, the gay media local local gay publications here and Mostly in feeder markets like California and then national. Um, I've actually, we were, my Miles, my partner and I were just discussing this last night because we had both noticed that there's a, there's frequently pages in the Advocate or out or some of the gay travel magazines geared towards the Luxor, for example. And I, I, I've known for a while that Luxor and New York, New York have been two of the hotels in the MGM Mirage family that have been focused on trying to cook this market. But what was interesting about lot of was that they playing out clubs there, the LAX and whatever else they've got there. And Miles said to me, he said, I really hope that gay people don't go to these <laughs> clubs and think that they're gay clubs. I mean, there's, right. it's a reasonable conclusion from these advertisements mm-hmm. and it could be alarming because he's, as you said, you know, the, the people who go there are they're assholes. I mean, <laughs> these, are, these are the people who who ha- you know the, the the people who go to Pure and go to right you know, the, the, the nightclub scene. These are the young, rich, right. whatevers that they you know that are being soaked you know right, left, and backwards. And um, you know they're not ne- not necessarily. In fact, they're probably not gay. And uh, it's a little a little amazing given all of the uh, efforts they've made that I haven't heard yet of I don't know a, a gay-related bar fight has come out. I'm, yeah. surprised. I'm sure I'm sure it's coming sooner or later. Uh, Jeff Simpson, welcome.
5: Oh, thanks. I've been on for a few minutes, guys. Sorry I was late. Oh, um, no problem. Interesting topic. Steve, I have a question for you. Um, one of the things that I found interesting, we had a, um, our uh, tourism columnist in business, Rick Vallada, did a story about the LVCVA's um, marketing outreach to the gay community and some of their ads uh Um, Relatively provocative ads, pretty interesting, and, uh, um, you know, hopefully they'll be successful. Um, But I was wondering, has there been, to your knowledge, has anybody done research on the various revenue components of the Las Vegas tourism market, whether it's, you know, obviously gaming, um, you know, hotel, retail, food and beverage, nightclub, spa, and looked at how um how uh you know gay customers may um be more inclined or less inclined in, in those various revenue streams. Uh, my, my, my hunch is that in many of them they would probably be bigger spenders or at least and, and I just wondered what your thoughts were and if there were if there has been any uh, study done on those things.
4: Well I don't know that there's been any research specifically about the various offerings. I, I do know that there has been research done on demographic interests and some of it was surprising and as you we were talking, I was trying to find it, and I couldn't find it in my laptop. But I remember, for example, that it was surprising to find that middle-aged lesbians seem to really love Las Vegas. I mean, considering how little there is geared to them it is really interesting. Um, I, I don't know that there's any any specific uh, breakout on that. I, I suspect that, that uh, one of the things you need to try to remember is that while there is a sense that, Gay people are this huge untapped or starting to be tapped travel market. Obviously, not all gay people are wealthy. Not all gay people have no children. Not all gay people are interested in gambling. Not all gay people like Broadway shows. And and as I've proven most recently, not all gay people like Cher either. So, <laughs> and so, I'll talk about that in a little bit. But but um, so I mean I don't I don't know the answer to that. I think it would be a little bit difficult because i i don't know i mean do do the does the lvcva break that stuff out by any
5: i think not not brain. to my knowledge i don't think they do i don't think they do ethnic um they do some age, age they respect. do age and uh they may do in their annual survey sort of their retrospective survey i think they do break out ethnicity age and gender um, but i've not seen uh, um whether they include um gay travelers
4: or not one of the things that i think is interesting and worth noting in this conversation is that you know ha- you know the last time we had a recession or last time we had a, a serious slowdown in vegas was the, the, the 2001 2002 and a lot of these efforts to allure to gay travelers and also quite a bit to hispanic travelers spanish language travelers um Came out of that. Came out of the necessity to try to find some new pastures to graze on. And um and, and it's interesting to watch right now because with everything that's going on, I'm not sure that they're being as creative this time in the middle of this recession. I mean I I guess there's been some talk of, of trying to appeal more to international travelers. But I don't know. I mean anybody else hear anything of any 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 value?
5: I don't think so. I don't think that this is not a sudden jolt of there's no more flights for, uh, you know, a set period of time. Um, This is sort of a very slow-moving, you know, slightly increasing heat, and uh, I don't think it's gotten to the boiling point yet. And I don't think, you know, there certainly has been no, you know, industry-wide, you know, mass direct mailing to California to try and re- replace, you know, fly-in tourists, which happened after 9-11. Um, I don't think there has been. Um, but not, what, I
0: mean, as a Californian, I can say that the offers that I have been getting have not changed at all recently. I mean, they're very consistent. And not like 2001, where there was all of a sudden a deluge of stuff I was getting in my mailbox. What,
5: one thing that somebody mentioned earlier about targeting – um, demographic groups. I do know that there has been an effort in different hotels in Las Vegas to tap not just the international Asian customer base, um, or or um, domestic uh, fly-in folks from Hawaii. By boy, at their downtown properties. But there's also been an effort at locals casinos, whether it's Palace Station. I mean, not the certainly one of the lesser tier, lower tier locals properties but these places have created sort of asian focused gaming areas and almost all all places try and include you know food offerings that would appeal to Um, Las Vegas is a pretty significant um, Asian minority. Um, I mean, it's not nearly as big, obviously, as our Hispanic community, but um, the Asian community has a high propensity to gamble. Many are employed already in the casino business. All of the Michael Gahn properties have separate kitchens, an Asian kitchen and then a a non-Asian kitchen that that cook for their cafes. um, And... um, you know, uh, many casinos have specific gaming areas that um, target um, Asian customers. Sure. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, that is a demographic that is much sought after.
4: When it, well, you when, know, just to oh, – go ahead. Go, go ahead, Steve. Well, just to give you, you know, some idea, since we're obviously talking specifically about getting lesbian marketing in this particular conversation, um, there, there is a uh, – there there's a – marketing outfit out of san francisco named community marketing they do a lot of the research related to uh travel and the gay market and they they last year in july started something they're doing it again this this summer called gay days and nights las vegas and what it is is it's a three or four or five day i think it's a five day uh event over over uh i guess it's fourth of july weekend this year uh it, it's a big huge uh essentially you know week-long thing where Cirque is offering... Cheap seats for shows and paris paris las Vegas is the host and they 've got mm-hmm. pool parties and they 've got um all kinds you know all kinds of discounts they're creating some sort of a little like a little card that you can use around town to get into all kinds of different clubs and you know, there's obviously you know and this is something that a lot of the different companies are are participating in as as a way to kind of you know focus in so that maybe some day vegas you know Fourth of July weekend will 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 mean Vegas to gay people right. all over the country. Um, just like there are other other parts of the of the world that you know, there's this big party they have in Montreal every year that lots of gay people travel for, and so on. I think what's, what's most interesting is something that I think Hunter mentioned earlier, which is that all this marketing is being done uh, under the radar of straight travelers. I mean, you know, if you don't read this media, if you don't, if if you're not in you know interested in paying attention to this particular Aspect then you just don't know. And I, and I think that's I think it's interesting. I, I think that we don't see mainstreaming of gay images in Vegas advertisements in general. And I'm sure there are lots of good reasons for that. But it is an interesting point to be made.
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely the case. but And, you know, that actually sort of, in a way, uh, segues me into what I want to talk about next, which is entertainment. And there are some certain specific headliners. And, Steve, you mentioned this before we started offline – um, you know, Elton John, Cher, Bette Midler, that at least have some kind of, um, you know, people could could associate them as being popular in the gay community. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm curious to see if you guys – how you guys think that impacts. I mean, obviously, Steve, you just went to go see Cher.
4: you want to talk about that a little bit in your experience as far as, uh, you know, when you <laughs> shared your opinion? Well, you know, the funny thing about that is that you – know, Mike Weatherford wrote a column back in uh, in February when it was announced the chair was coming, I think it was, and basically the thrust of his commentary was that he wondered if perhaps the Coliseum was splitting a pair of tens that they were that they had bet and they had share and that they were essentially appealing to the same market, same audience and maybe they could have, you know, done better by picking something other than a gay diva to put into the Coliseum. And I actually went up to him and, and at the preview for Bet Mitler and I said, you know, not you know not only gay people are interested in bet or share. <laughs> it, it is true. And what 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 I discovered about when I went to share was, you know, I've always been a big, big Buck Miller fan. I'm not just, or, or, oh, what's that? Uh, you're cutting out a little bit there. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I don't, I don't consider myself to be a, a a fan of, of Cher, but I don't also think that there's anything... You know, I, I get it, I guess, to some extent, but it's nothing that gets me excited. And um and what I discovered with going to BET and going to Cher, those were two very different gay audiences, I mean, of the gay people who were there. The, the BET, gay BET fans are... I think a more more genteel bunch, um, a more more maybe a little older, maybe a little older sensibility. I don't know. And the Cher group was these people were wild. I mean, they were just you know it was just a different uh, aesthetic altogether. And yeah, I'm I'm expected as 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 a gay person, as a gay critic, to you know adore. Any any of these people who happen to come along, and when I when I don't, I mean I've, I've got somebody on my blog right now saying I should turn in my gay card, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, <laughs> I Don't remember earning one, but okay. Um, so you know, it, 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 it is it is interesting. I, I do think that that it is a pretty significant monument to just sort of the notion that that these entertainers are and the, and the followings that they bring are desirable when you want well, such high profile people.
5: I, I think that. The one of the things you have to give AEG and uh, Harris um, and previously um, Caesar's Entertainment before uh, Mm. Harris made the choice to sign Celine, Um, and I think that you know. Notwithstanding their appeal to um, the gay market, I think that Bette Midler, Cher, Elton John, um, and we'll leave Seinfeld out. I think you know he's an occasional um, person who appears there. I think he has pretty much he's sort of a traditional um, Las Vegas comic um, or a guy who would come. I mean he would he would have always had a lot of appeal here, but. The market has gotten so big. There's so many hotels, so many mega resorts, so many entertainment venues dominated by, at the top of the, you know, the biggest shows by the Cirque and Cirque-style shows. Um, there are a number of other entertainers, you know, impressionists, comedians, um, and then people who come into town occasionally, the Jay Leno's and folks, the Ray Romano's, folks like that. and And these folks at Caesars have picked a different kind of people. And typically the casinos wouldn't have signed them. Um, They weren't, you know, they were considered to be, you know, uh, not necessarily Elton John, but I think Bette and and, uh, um, Cher probably are more popular, much more popular among women and probably not, very popular among, you know, the gambling type crowd. It's the Tony Bennett, Frank Sinatra, you know, comedian kind of, you know, Don Rickles kind of crowd. But what ha- Vegas has gotten so big and it's so much not about gambling anymore that now, you know, I mean, they have, they've created this niche for themselves. It's a huge niche and, you know, they have a 4,000 seat venue um, so I think it's sort of you know it's genius you know they they sort of cornered a market on a very very you know with a very popular kind of act when they signed Celine Dion I'll admit I thought you know what kind of a nutty Las Vegas signing is that mm-hmm. but you know she was dominant in 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 in. Because she has such a loyal fan base, they were willing to come here. They may not have been gamblers, but they were spenders and spa goers and, you know, mm-hmm. retail people pay and contributed to high hotel rates and everything else. So, you know, more power to Caesars, I think. And I think that, you know, these acts, you know, maybe they are zigging a little when everybody else zags, but good for them.
3: I Go ahead, I was going to say I was I thought that the Celine signing was was a winner from the get-go. I was going to bring in you know instead of just plowing the same furrow, they were doing something, you know the 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 model that they were shooting for was a headliner where people would plan their Vegas vacations around seeing that headliner, and you know damned if it didn't work. And uh, as far as uh, uh, Bette Midler and Cher, I I, I wouldn't agree with Weatherford's contention either. I mean, they, you know, the, especially after having seen both shows, you know, Bette Midler is, she is invoking a much different range of cultural reference points. I mean, for two. Uh, you know for for two women of roughly the same vintage uh Midler's is it 's much more a traditional our idea of a traditional vegas production show and it 's it 's cultural reference points and i don 't mean this in any way pejoratively because i think it's a terrific show but they're definitely more backward looking i mean you know her she's she's harkening back to the follies and vaudeville and busby berkeley and so on and so forth whereas um you know it's it uh i don't think you could could Well, I'm not quite sure where the, you know, where the cultural center of gravity for the share audience is, but it's definitely a different one.
4: Well, I do want to follow up on what Jeff just said because I think it's important and, and needs to be filled out just, just a little bit more with regards to these niche, niche audiences. Because it is interesting to note that it is the largest companies, Harris and MGM, that are the ones that are aggressively going after these sorts of markets and doing so. I mean, what I'm talking about is, is uh, particularly since we're discussing the gay market, we'll talk about that for the moment. Um, and and you don't see that much coming out of the other. Are the resorts, the resorts that that are parts of much smaller companies, and the reason very specifically is Michael Weaver, who's the uh, vice president for marketing and he's openly gay uh, for Paris, Rio, and valley's i guess he he was the one who told me that that they he had wanted to do this for a long time it wasn't until they acquired Caesars and all of a sudden had six properties that they could diversify that way once you have enough offerings you can take a little piece of it and offer it to this group or that group. But when you're when you're you know, win you really can't. You have to kinda of get the bigger picture that you're looking for.
3: Mm-hmm. And there's there's some controversy about how I mean we we're talking about other demographics, there's some controversy as to how uh Forty Forty Club is doing and frankly I mm. saw very few African Americans the time I was there but you know MGM's uh attempts to court that demographic have almost invariably blown up in their face i'm thinking about the you know the tyson uh contract and then um you know the the scene during the nba all-star weekend which was it was a pretty- it was pretty rough
5: let's just leave it that well, and i don't think either of those were attempts to court the african american community i mean boxer boxing matches may bring in um african Americans but they bring in you know extremely big money gamblers and n b a all star game is more of a you know it's a cultural phenomenon that proved to be because of our proximity to Los Angeles um an attraction to a less than desirable element but I well think, it was, it was but I don't think was... it was meant they said oh let's let's lure the all-star game to town so that we could lure african americans to las vegas well I mean, that was yeah.
3: you know with the, with the tyson fights i mean that was that was precisely the element they got if you look back at the uh at the uh, Sports Illustrated coverage of the ear-biting fight, you know, a big part of the crowd for that for that fight and for that whole you know for that series of Tyson fights, of which it was the the apotheosis, if you as it were, were you know was a drive-in crowd uh, from L.A. that was largely comprised of gang members and their hangers-on.
5: You know when when they when they sign the deal, they're anticipating that Tyson returns the form, becomes the you know once again the heavyweight champion of the world, and dominant like he was in the mid and, and later 80s. Um, they certainly didn't anticipate a deterioration of Tyson. When Tyson was at his best, um, he was he had appeal you know far beyond. The groups you mentioned, and i 'm sure that 's why the mgm wouldn't have some signed the deal if they thought they were getting um, the crowd that you that you cited um, it 's just not you know conducive to uh, um, you know what they 're trying to accomplish
4: you know it's interesting Damon Hodge is a, a black writer who writes for the Las Vegas Weekly and he did a piece in January looking at this question of what does it mean that you know the Palazzo of all places. Um, would open a place like Jay-Z's Z's 4040 club and he he really did think it was quite historic that you know that this was going on that this was more significant than a lot of the other you know black landmarks on the strip and I, I don't know I mean, I would be interested to know how how it's doing
5: and whether oh, it works at all Yeah I don't think so I mean the folks that I talk to say that you know even not even with NBA basketball playoffs in full bloom um not particularly big crowds, not, um, you know, the robust, you know, like line waiting to get in, happening club. Now that could change. And, you it's know, also sort of like locked young.
0: in the basement. I mean, you, know, know, you have access from the outside, but other than that, it's it's very difficult to get to from the inside of the building. I,
3: yeah, I can vouch for what, what Jeff's saying. I mean, we were there on a Sunday afternoon during a Lakers game, just a moderate-sized crowd, uh, nothing special. Uh, service was absolutely atrocious. Um, the uh, uh, and you know no signage whatsoever. I mean, you you need us a, a bloodhound and a trail of breadcrumbs to find the place. Um, it's they they stuck it down in the basement like they're ashamed of it. Um, so I don't know. It, it's it's uh, somebody I was corresponding with was positing that Adelson. You know, is wants to be able to say, yeah, we tried, it failed. Uh, You know, we're moving on to the next thing. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't think he's even. I don't think he's that Machiavellian. But they sure aren't going out of their way to make it a success. I agree.
4: I mean, I haven't seen much in the way of
0: uh, promotion or advertising for the place.
4: Well, it is interesting to note while we're having this conversation that there is only, so far as I know, one gay club on the strip, it's Crave, it's not actually in a hotel, it's, it's like, I don't know, rented part right. of Mir- the Miracle Mile shops and it it's in there for a while and, you know, it wins awards and so on I, I'm not a clubber so I, I don't go out and, and see how it's doing, but I, he- I hear it's going well, it's just interesting that well, okay, if they're trying so hard to get, you know, the gay folk into the into these places, well why not have a, a gay gay coffee shop or something in, I don't know, New York, New York or something, if that's what they're interested in.
5: One question I would have is, are there any resorts as a a whole or any, um, you know, elements of resorts, whether they're clubs or restaurants or front desk crews or that are known um, as being unfriendly to gays? Um, And I just wondered if, you know, I, I have not read your book, and I just wondered if that's something that um you know is uh is is a problem.
4: I have not heard much. Um I think you find it in small places. Uh I, I know that when I was working on the book before I finished the book uh when I, I called over to and I think I, I think that when once the book when the book came out it it had changed. But the Aladdin, for example, when it was still the Aladdin, you know, I had called around to find out which hotels did allow gays to use their Wedding chapels for their weddings, and and the Aladdin, the woman actually said no, but the MGM does it, <laughs> um, and uh, and I know that a lot of the smaller the smaller wedding chapels don't do it, but you know I mean oh well, <laughs> and and um, but by and large no, I really I really we had the conversation I think probably just before you got on it, you know I'm waiting for that. That, you know, big story where some gays come to town because they saw the ad for LAX and uh, in the advocate and they think it's a gay club and they come on to some guy and they get popped. I, I, I mean, it's bound to happen the way they're the way they're doing it. And yeah, just, I don't know. I mean, you know, they're, they're, look, I mean, I mean it, this is middle America that comes to Las Vegas and there are attitudes. And sometimes with a little alcohol and a little, you know, looking at somebody the wrong way, be yeah. dangerous.
0: Nope, no doubt about it. And I you know, like you said, I would not be surprised to see that go down.
3: Well, one one more question. Uh what about within the industry itself? When I moved here, it, the industry had a reputation for being very homophobic within its executive
4: ranks. Oh, well, I think that's flipped quite a bit. There are a number of openly gay executives in most. And I'm not going to name any just because every time I do that I get in trouble. There's like one one person who I didn't realize wasn't out, wasn't out, <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. But um, but you know, in terms of uh, you know star entertainers, and in terms of executives, and in terms of you know I, yeah, I mean I mean in fact I mean particularly MGM Mirage and, and Harris in in recent years they've been jockeying to get the perfect gay positive rating from the big gay organizations i mean they they give lots of money they they really i mean and, and almost i think without fail almost every major corporation on the strip uh offers uh health benefits to the partners of domestic Hmm. Uh, oh, the, the domestic partners of gay uh, gay employees, and there may be different you know, rules to how they how they decide that, but they're almost without fail, and certainly all the biggest companies do. Very good. Well, I think I'm going to transition
0: uh, into a couple of news items, um, but before I do that, Steve, as far if people want to pick up your book, what's the best thing to do? Send them to Amazon.com, or should they go
4: elsewhere? Yeah, just go to amazon Amazon.com or go to my blog, VegasHappensHere.com. There was one more thing I wanted to mention. Oh, yeah, it, is, absolutely. It, it, it is a good segue, uh, and I did mention it on my blog yesterday, and I think I'm going to try to do some more reporting on this. One of the things that fascinates me is you have to think that there are executives on the strip right now who are dying over the fact that gay marriage is not legal in in Nevada and that it won't be for quite a long time because of the change in the Constitution. Because just yesterday, and immediately, I mean, I know so many couples who don't even live in California, who just, I mean, Miles and I aren't that sort of, because we figure if we're going to get married legally, it should be legal where we live, and so Mm. it's not, and so we're not going to do it. But, I mean, the tourism impact I can't even imagine what it would be like if Nevada… The modern equivalent of the quickie divorce, you know, it would be like…
0: You're right, it could be quite compelling.
5: Hey, Ellen announced (laughs) yesterday… What? Ellen DeGeneres announced
0: yesterday. Oh, I did see that, I did see that. So she's getting married, but it won't be in Las Vegas. No. All right. Well, um again, uh, amazon.com or vegashappenshere.com to pick up Steve's book and I will be linking to both uh when the show goes up. So, if you Also, yeah. Also shoplva.com. That's right. Oh, yeah, that too. It, it uh we we will link to all of the above. We
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Um but now we're going to talk about a few other topical things. And Steve, I'm hoping you can hang out for a minute and lend <laughs> your insight into this stuff since you obviously uh have some. So we've got a couple of news stories we want to talk about. Um, the first is uh, MGM Mirage. On the last call, we spoke briefly about um, earnings from wind resorts in Las Vegas Sands. And since then, um, MGM Mirage also reported. And the one specific thing in the uh, accompanying conference call that I think is worthy of discussion was a comment from Terry Lonnie um about how the company is somewhat frustrated at its valuation and as a result of that would consider splitting themselves into multiple components maybe two parts um a hotel you know slash real estate development component and a gaming component or however it would be set up um you know that that uh, made made a lot of waves when that statement came out it was
5: uh, it, it was uh,
0: Big news. Did, uh, does that surprise anyone? Um,
5: they've been saying that for years. The only the the difference was that it was Terry Lanny, actually saying he'd consider splitting the company. What they've in in the two corporate entities, they've said for a couple going back a couple of years. Jim Murren started bemoaning those valuation differences, um, particularly Four Seasons, but there's others. Um, and then um, they created this hotel. Op, non-gaming hotel operating division putting their uh, very uh, highly thought of um, MGM Grand president Gamal Aziz in charge of that subsidiary, um, sort of establishing a framework that for to allow them to uh, you know create um, a different valuation among those properties if they wanted to, um, but I mean if they if they opted to follow that you know strategy but they've been you know bemoaning the uh the valuation um inequity for a long time at least 2 years
0: yeah well i wonder you know if that was to happen what kind of timeline we would be looking at because you know you combine that with the constant rumors of uh Kerkorian maybe you know thinking of taking the company private um uh, i don't know it's interesting to see how it plays out but obviously mgm mirage has worked very hard to seed uh quite a few interesting international opportunities, whether it's Dubai or uh some others. They're you know, they're definitely trying to make some non gaming plays around the world.
3: So then be- so, they also just authorized another large stock buyback. So that that may play towards the, the privatization, yeah, that that you did, mentioned. You know, so they obviously think management obviously thinks that
0: uh and the principal shareholder think that the company's a bargain and they're and they're buying. So it we'll see uh we'll see how they do. Obviously uh, you know they could be pretty exposed if Las Vegas doesn't do well over the next several quarters, but
5: we'll see. It wasn't too long ago where Kerkorian offered to buy back a whole lot of shares for a lot more than the company sells for now, and nobody would sell them their shares, yeah. so they obviously think the company's undervalued and I think yeah. that you know most folks I talk to do as well um, I think there's just you know this whenever these companies get into that period before the big openings, whether it was you know Venetia Macau and Palazzo for las vegas sands where when when it's uh when it was uh, win. Um, you know, he he actually had a run up but um you know, investors get skittish and uh, you know, they're getting ready to open City Center, but um, you know, it's probably, you know, foolhardy. And uh I think uh, Kirk Kerkorian, you know, is a pretty has been a pretty astute judge of the value of his uh holdings. Yeah. And uh so, you know, I would do not, I would I would certainly expect you'll see that value uh heading up soon.
3: Well on the the first Dubai tender offer fell upon deaf ears as far as the shareholders were concerned, but then you know then the economy started looking a little rickety, and all of a sudden they Dubai found lots of takers for its tender offer. Well, it'd definitely be something
0: to watch and see how it goes um all right, well, the next story I want to talk about, uh Chuck, hopefully you're still with us
1: yeah, yeah, I'm here, I'm here
0: is a story that you posted on your on your uh, website regarding continuous shuffling machines, which I thought was sort of interesting can you give us a a lowdown on on what the story was
1: yeah i uh I got an email from a friend of mine who works in uh, conti- uh, uh, security for one of the big uh casino operators and he was he knows my uh, interest in uh, card counting and Uh, passing interest in cheating devices and other ways of kind of, you know, doing bad stuff. I don't do it, but I have an interest in it. Uh, And he asked me like a bunch of questions uh, under the uh, admission that a a group of card counters or whatever they are, are uh, continually beating a continuous shuffle blackjack machines in their casino. Uh, He said that he's uh, not really sure exactly how they're doing this but they're doing it regularly uh, and they got a whole team of people and they switched out dealers. They've done different machines, da da da, da and these guys are still figuring out how to do it. So, you know, I kind of, kind of gave it a little bit of thought. I was like, well, how, you know, how exactly could somebody beat a continual shuffle machine? And, you know, basically those things are invented to thwart card counters, you know, the traditional card counting. Uh, but if you, th- if you think out of the box, The way any smart advantage player or cheater would do is, uh, you you know, you can either order a couple of those types of machines and uh, crack the software, figure out what the algorithm is, you know, basically like technological shuffle tracking. Uh, Or uh, another way is uh, like micro counting, which depending on uh, how many decks there are in the machine, uh, you, you use the information that you get from all the cards that have been played before they get before the end of the hand and they're thrown back into the machine, to uh, determine some kind of strategy chart uh, knowledge to know sort of what the composition of the machine is that's left. So that's pretty much the the long and the short of the whole thing. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty skeptical about whether or not it, it's possible, but I think you know anything's possible if people want to spend enough time trying to figure it out.
0: So, well, I'm curious. Did he sound? Um did you get the impression that this is something that is a cause for great concern amongst these guys? Are they significantly worried about this? Well,
1: he was worried enough to uh, contact me, you know.
4: Uh-huh. So,
1: uh, you know, it's – they they've tried to figure out, you know, a lot of ways to, to figure out what these guys are doing, you know. Right. But but this crew, they know who they are. They know where they're from. uh They've banned other properties also. Uh, so they're, they're kind of following these guys, you know, in a typical cat and mouse game. Uh, but but they're not exactly sure how they're beating it. You know, they could have, you know, an electrostatic machine that trips the, you know, wirelessly trips the shuffling thing and defeats this that and the other. You know, if you can hack into the FBI, you can ha- probably hack into a you know a shuffle machine. You know, I doubt it's that part. Uh, so, in So in the past,
0: when there have been major breaches of uh, casino security or when games have maybe been been cracked, you know I have, I have and hopefully someone can uh, can fill me in. Have the casinos ever made any kind of public uh, pronouncement? Is this something that they keep very quiet? I mean I've an obvious advantage to not advertising it. Um, you know has, Is there precedent for this in the past, and how, how do those things usually go down?
2: Usually, it happens during the uh i guess enforcement phase because the game if it's some kind of cheating, the gaming control board is ultimately going to be the ones that are called in, and it's ultimately going to be the state' uh police and the gaming control agents who are prosecuting so usually it'll it'll come out then at that phase, and you know they've they're pretty upfront about all the devices and all the different ways you can cheat the machines so mm-hmm. yeah, it does come out, but usually it's after they've figured out what the countermeasures are. I can't recall any time anyone ever said. People are out there doing something to rip off the casinos, and we have no idea what it is.
5: Chuck, let me ask you, does your friend think that it's actually related to the, the shuffling device? or I know you said they've switched out dealers and stuff, but are they, yeah. have they exhausted the possibility that it's some kind of whole card monitoring or some kind of you know like other technology that has nothing to do with the shuffling machine?
1: Well he said that they've actually uh they've they've beat other tables also, non shuffle machine tables. Uh you know, they they're they've been looking at the counts, see how these guys are counting, you know, they know it's a team of people. Uh it could be all over the place. But, you know, the thing with blackjack I guess is uh they're it's it's they're pushing out bets, you know, at specific moments, which you know, I don't know if you'd be able to know that beforehand with, with somebody eyeballing a whole card. You know, you, you'd have to know, you'd have to eyeball the whole card in the future to know when to push that big bet out. So they're betting like card counters uh, on a continuous shuffle machine. And they're also beating regular, regular tables too, shoes, you know, and, and some, of the, some of the machines are three decks. Some of the machines are four, five, six decks. As well, so if they 've got some kind of system or something or other uh, that uh, is is beating the pants off them
0: interesting yeah well, I hope that you'll keep us informed if you know if we hear anything else on it on this topic I would you know it it uh, would be a big deal if this was actually a significant thing, so I would be interested to hear more, so please keep us in the loop absolutely um another story that i don 't know if it's really worth much discussion, but I thought it was funny. Um, or at least interesting, um, was um, Sheldon Adelson being detained in Israel for questioning. And it sounds – I think, Steve, you wrote about this. Uh, David, I think you wrote about this. I think this is in a few places. Um, Well, well, actually, Steve, why don't I let you uh, explain the story? What happened? Well,
4: there's a public corruption case going on in uh, Israel related to the prime minister, Omer, and – I guess that there's some sense that Sheldon Adelson may have had some contact with somebody who has a really Las Vegas connection to Olmert. It's, it's complicated, and I haven't dug into it too deeply, just to note that there was an Israeli paper that claimed that he had been detained on Monday and questioned on Tuesday. And uh, I thought that was interesting, so I put it up on the blog, and then I got a hold of Ron Reese from the uh Las Vegas Sands, and he said no, he wasn't detained. he was questioned it's, he's not a suspect and he, and they wouldn't talk about anything more more specific uh but he did mention that you know Adelson was over there hanging out with President Bush, and I don't know, I guess I'm supposed to show that there's no there's no real issue here mhm
3: well there's a, there's an issue it just may not be um uh you know it may not be that adelson centric uh right what right. What they're trying to find out is what the Israeli uh, – what these anti-corruption units in Israel are trying to find out is whether Olmert acts as a go-between for this gentleman, Moshe Talansky, who makes mini-bars and who is a major contributor to Olmert's uh, political campaigns, and the the that they're, the allegation that they're investigating and nothing has been substantiated is that Olmert may have gone to Adelson and to a couple of other American businessmen and said say would you do my friend Moshe Talansky a favor and buy some of his mini bars um, so that's what, that's what they're trying to find out. I mean, you know, so in other, in other words, if Adelson were involved, it would be as, you know, somebody who, you know, who was, was, you know, tried to hit up, tried to right. be, you know, pressured into, into buying this stuff, but no sort of, of, uh, Criminal action on his part has even been remotely alleged he was but yeah, I guess he came back to his hotel at eleven p m Monday night, and there were the cops waiting to question him
5: and that's why it was and that 's why I agree Hunter. It is hilarious the idea of a country's prime minister as a mini bar salesman <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> and you know calling up the you know one of the richest men in the world, hey uh can I interest you in a You know, a couple thousand mini bars for my buddy, uh, you know, just uh, sort of strange credulity. But, you know, hey, it's it's funny.
4: (laughs) But it does feed into something that is a little more serious, which is this question of how Sheldon Allison uses his influence. Influence. There was a whole discussion about whether or not he was on the line with Tom DeLay, getting Tom DeLay to to change some sort of American policies related to China and the Olympics. Oh, absolutely. There is something there.
5: Well, I mean, you have you have them claiming that it happened. Then in the then in the trial, then you have delays office of saying it never happened. You have the Chinese believe it happened. It happened, and you have Widener on the witness stand saying, "Oh, we created this urban legend about it, which is, you know, I mean, sort of, uh, we benefited from a lie or from a you know a rumor that we put out or whatever you want to call it, but it didn't really happen. Now that um, in the court case, it would be disadvantageous for them to, for it to have happened. Um, you know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was uh, that was. You know, there is. I mean, that's sort of a different issue, but certainly, uh, you know, influence peddling or mini bar peddling is. Uh, <laughs> it's it's it's, it's it, and, and and it's all you know it's it's all amusing to me anyway.
4: Wasn't it? Wasn't it a much safer, nicer time when we didn't have mini bars in Vegas hotels?
3: There you go. See. <laughs> and Sheldon's the one who's responsible for putting them there in the first place. <laughs> obviously,
1: obviously uh, he didn't buy the right ones because those ones don't have the weights on them that uh, automatically charge your bill. <laughs> All
0: right, well, enough minibar talk. Um we'll uh, of course if anything happens, we'll 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 pick up on it in a in a later episode. But the the last thing that I wanted to touch on today was um a couple of new shows that have opened and I you know, this is This podcast isn't really about uh, entertainment reviews, but um, there's two shows, and since Steve's on the call, I wanted to ask, and maybe some uh, of of the rest of you guys have seen these shows too. um, The the Share Show and Jersey Boys both have opened, um, you know, obviously both uh, major attractions in in Las Vegas um, that will probably, hopefully, for their sake, be around for a while. Um, You know, the Broadway thing has been somewhat controversial in it in that it hasn't been a runaway success so i guess my question would be is a is jersey boys going to make it and b um you know are are sharon bett Midler going to be able to uh keep it going like celine did and, and how she was such a success and so i'll steve i'll start with you
4: uh
0: and if anyone else has any comment you know feel free to chime in
4: well, first of all, I don't think that Cher or Bitmoji have the same kind of pressure that Sh- that Celine had. I mean, they're not doing anything near the kind of business that Celine was expecting to do. So, you know, it's it's, it's kind of uh, kind of an apples and oranges that way. I mean, they've got what half of the business. To, to fill, and I think they'll both do just fine. Cher certainly will. I mean, there, if the lunatics that are writing me about my negative review share any indication, <laughs> she'll be fine. Doesn't need me. And um, and that, I, I again, I, I think they. I think these are all very smart choices, including Jersey Boys. Uh, for the first time in in, in a, a long time, I've actually started to hear some 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 talk that Phantom may not be doing well enough to stick around for a long, long time. That was kind of, you know, I kind of just kind of took it on faith that that show, given how much they spent on the theater, would would just be there for a while. And, and now I'm starting to wonder if, if it'll make it through the decade. So I'll I, be interested to see where that's going. I, I don't know that necessarily, you know, it's a Broadway thing or if it's just, just that, you know, the anthem has played out. But right. I, th- I also think that, that Jersey Boys is, is, is a great marriage of a number of things, one of which is if it's an upscale-feeling show for upscale-feeling people um, in the right hotel. I mean, if Avenue Q was a mistake, it was largely a mistake because it had a huge theater in a hotel for which the, client, the overall clientele was not young urban mm-hmm. professionals. So yeah, I, I think that I think that Jersey Boys is it's a it's a superb show. It's gotten universal praise. I, I I think I think it'll do well. I think it'll be great. Well, uh,
3: anyone else have any thoughts? The only complaint I've heard about Jersey Boys regards the uh, the theater itself, um, that it's a it is very very small uh, to the point of being cramped. Uh, child's portion. Uh, size leg room and very poorly ventilated so that that uh, that's just kind of an uncomfortable experience watching for the watching the show for for reasons having nothing to do with the show itself
4: and anybody who likes new york is gonna think oh gosh that's such a new york concept i mean new york new york theaters are notoriously uncomfortable mm-hmm. and people go to see them true Um, All right. Well, unless
0: anybody else has anything else they want to talk about, uh, I think we're going to wrap it up for the day.
4: Um,
0: I very much appreciate everybody being here. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm going to go around the table again and let you guys uh, pimp uh, whatever projects you're working on. So we'll start with you, Steve. Steve, if people want to find you on the web, where would they go? (laughs)
4: Uh, well, I've got my blog, Vegas Happens Here. It's where I post uh, links to all my, my stories and my work and, you know, comment and break news. And, of course, i got my two podcasts, The Strip Podcast, is about Vegas, and The Petcast, which is about pets and animals. So The Strip Podcast is at thestrippodcast.com, and The Petcast is at thepetcast.com.
0: Great. Um, Dave Schwartz, how about you?
2: I'm at www.dieiscast.com, which is... Still undergoing a remodel, and um, I'm just posting all kinds of cool stuff there.
0: Great. Uh, Chuck, where can people find you this week?
5: Um, <clears> uh, <throat> oh, Chuck, I'm sorry. Let's go ahead. Uh, you sorry. can find
0: me at Jeff Simpson's house.
1: Uh, <laughs> the, uh, I, we will both be sharing some bu- comics. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> all right. Vegas, VegasTripping.com. There you go. Uh, all right. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Simpson, how about you?
5: Well, I, I first want to say that um, I've really enjoyed Dave Schwartz's. Uh, he's like posting some of his greatest book reviews, and they're fantastic. Um, I've got I've gone back and uh, been reading, saying almost all of those books are books I've read. So, if you uh, have a big gaming book library, you should read Dave's reviews. They're fantastic. Um, and I'm at uh, LasVegasSun.com or InBusinessLasVegas.com.
3: And David McKee. Oh, I'm at uh, Huntington Press, the uh, proud publishers of Gay Vegas, and mm. uh, most days of the week I'm found online at, at LasVegasAdvisor.com. Usually, picking uh, on me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have I think I think there's a nice friendly rivalry between <laughs> uh, between between all of us. So. Um people can find me at ratevegas.com slash blog um or VegasGangPodcast.com. dot com. Um thanks again to everybody for being here. I hope you guys have a great weekend and uh talk to you soon.
5: Okay. Adios guys. Great